Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the 40-Year Coach Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Before we get to our guest, Travis DeCure, just want to remind you to ask yourself, as a coach, as a teacher, as a leader, will your impact be felt for four years or 40 years? Because ultimately, that's what the 40-Year Coach Podcast is all about. And we could use your help in getting the word out about our podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe. You do not want to miss some of the guests we have coming up. And if you don't have an iPhone, you can always check us out on Spreaker or on the iHeartRadio app. Now on to our guest, Montana head coach Travis DeCure. He has coached Montana to three 20-win seasons. And this past season, he led the school to a 26-8 record and earned a bid to the NCAA tournament. For his efforts, he earned Big Sky and NABC District 6 Coach of the Year. He's the fastest Big Sky coach in history to reach 50 wins. And his 764 winning percentage is third best in conference history. Oh, and he's also one of the most sought-after coaches in the country. Travis DeCure, welcome to the 40-Year Coach Podcast. How are you doing, Adam? I'm great. I'm great. And uh, I'm pumped to talk to you so much. I think your story is is truly incredible. And as I do with, uh, with almost all the guests, I, I want to start at the beginning. I knew you grew up in... Rainier Beach area in in uh, in Washington, which I know has become a, a hotbed for for basketball, you know, certainly in the last decade or so. Uh, you could have gone to one of those power schools, Rainier Beach or or Garfield, but I've read that your father wanted a, a greater focus on academics and sent you to Mercer Island High School. What what do you recall about that decision and and uh, and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, I, you know, growing up um, in, in the Rainier Beach area, I, I never went to Seattle Public Schools. I was in Catholic school, first through eighth grade. And so when it was time to pick a high school, he, he gave me a choice of five schools, four were Catholic schools and, and one public, knowing that uh, I, would, I would choose the public school. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day for him, he was, he was more concerned about who I walked the halls with and getting a perspective on life outside of what I saw every day. And you talk about that perspective, only five black children in the in the, the school that you ended up going to? At the time, yes. At the time, yes, which was a, which was an early culture shock for a fifteen year old. Um, <laughs> but but it paid its dues later. No doubt, no doubt. You um you end up 
uh, playing for Ed Peppel, three-year starter, your McDonald's All-American, honorable mention. And then, as the story goes, you're playing in the Myrtle Beach Classic. And, and as you look later in the bracket, there's an opportunity for you to play Kenny Anderson. And for those who don't recall, I mean, Kenny Anderson, as a, as a high school player, was all everything. I mean, talked about nationally. Everyone knew about him well before Twitter. Um, but uh, you still had a game to play against another future superstar in, in college, and, and that's Jimmy Jackson. But you're playing in the Myrtle Beach Classic. Can you can you take me through what what happened and and transpired in that tournament? <laughs> it's a long story. Uh, that was our that was our second time there. I, I was there as a as a sophomore two years previous, and we we'd won a game, a consolation championship game at the buzzer uh, against uh, Dematha. Who, who also had a couple future NBA players, and we performed well enough to be invited back two years later. Um, of the eight teams, seven were ranked in the top 20 in the country. USA Today, we got one of them. Um, so the table was set. Um, you know, a lot of high major Division One coaches there. Uh, we played the first game very well. Uh, going into the second game, we're, we're playing Macomber Whitney out of Ohio, which is Jimmy Jackson's team. And um, unfortunately, you, you, you know, life has its lessons for us all uh, as we move forward. And um, I, I, unfortunately, the timing for me was, was there. Um, slept through team dinner. Um, the, the, or the, actually, it was lunch the day of game. And so got a one-quarter suspension. Found ourselves down 20 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, fought our way back into that game. And uh, it was an emotional roller coaster ride for me. Um, ended up losing that game, I think, by 10. Um, was Jimmy Jackson went for 20 in the first quarter, finished the game with 25. Um, we then won the consolation championship at the buzzer, uh, which meant I felt one game short of that matchup that I dreamed about. Uh, found myself on the all-tournament team with – Guys like Jimmy Jackson, Kenny Anderson, and Grant Hill, um, and, and a list of others. I think there were, were maybe 10 future NBA players on that list. Um, and, and so what were Division One offers went away from that moment and found myself uh, Division Two, Chaminade University, as a freshman before moving on to Montana. But it was an opportunity for me to learn to control my own destiny rather than rely on others, which uh, – I thought I had a wake-up call coming from a teammate, which never happened. Well, I, I think that it's an important lesson because I, I also think that as, as I look back at, at, at your life and your career, and we're, we're going to go through it, but just the idea that I talk to so many coaches and, and players and, and people who have these experiences and, and heartbreak at, at a young age and think that's it, that, that that's the end. And, and I think what's remarkable about your path is that Sure, there was there was a change in your path, but they did certainly. You're in a wonderful place now, and so it's it's awesome to see, you know, ultimately how far how far you came, and and so that it's not the end. And and I always uh, appreciate, you know, looking back on on some of the the early struggles for people. Um, and you talk about going to Chaminade, your team MVP, your starter as a freshman. Uh, why did you decide at that point to to transfer and, and go to Montana? Well, unfortunately for me, it, it was the only losing season I ever suffered in, in, in my career as an athlete uh, in any sport. And 
it was hard. Uh, one, hard being that far away from home. But the biggest thing for me was was just that uh, the individuals in the program, and including myself, we, we weren't about all the right things. We weren't there to win. Uh, we were there for individual reasons. Um, you know, a couple guys, you know, maybe the third or fourth school and just looking for an opportunity to score a ton of points and maybe play professionally. Um, uh, another freshman that was that came in with me, we both came in with intent of, 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 of being uh, the best individual players we could be. But, you know, I don't know how focused we were on winning. Uh, and, and, you know, after growing up in winning programs and, and, and winning as many games as I was fortunate to win at Mercer Island, I think I took it for granted and thought that it just happens. You know, you just go on the court and you play hard and, and didn't realize how much the off-the-court chemistry uh, matters and, and how influential it is on how your team operates on the floor, especially through adversity. And so it was another ad- adverse learning situation for me. Uh, and, 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 you know, fortunately for me, my high school coach was able to find me a happy home. Coach, before we move on to the happy home, I'm, I am curious about that part that you talk about, that how the off-the-court sort of chemistry um, impacts what's going on on the court. Can, can you expand on that? Well, at, at the end of the day, it seems a family. And maybe not all of them approach it that way. Maybe not all of them discuss it that way. I think sometimes you'll find teams that, that use the word family, but they don't operate like one. The time you spend together off the court is as valuable as the time you're going to spend in drills, uh, in, 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 in competition, because you've got to learn to trust each other. You've got to have each other's back. And there's going to be opportunities throughout every day to prove to one another that you're going to have each other's back and you'll be there for them. And if you don't have that trust, you'll never perform on the floor. And so that team that I played for, um, very few of us spent time together. We were very cliquish. Um, at the end of the day, not very many guys liked each other. And, and so it's going to be difficult to go out and compete in the foxhole together if you don't love each other. And so for me, I, I learned the, the importance of that because I missed it when I had it in high school. Right. I understand. I understand. As a coach, how do you foster that? Um, it, 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 it's long, you know, you, you don't do it overnight. You don't just do it in conversation. It, it's in acting. Um, you know, our staff spends a lot of time with our, with our student athletes individually, whether it's in the office, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in their homes. Um, we, we, we try to have as many activities as a group as possible. Our team eats dinner together every night. And so the more time you spend together, the more opportunities you have um, to, t- to talk about things that, that, that aren't basketball related. And that's what families do. Right. And, and so we talk about those things a lot and we know when guys are going through adverse situations and uh, we always encourage each individual, you know, whether it's a roommate or a teammate from the same area uh, or, or someone that might be able to relate to their situation to uh, help a guy through every adverse situation that he goes through. And, and when that happens, your team bonds. And fortunately for us, last year was probably the closest team I've ever had. Oh, and and we'll get to that for for sure. Uh, but I but I still want to discuss that that playing career that you had. And and so you end up going to Montana. You're recruited uh, by Blaine Taylor, who has called you the, the the son that he's never had. And and your career at at Montana. I mean, you set single season career records for assists. 
12th nationally in assists as a senior with over seven a game. You're all big sky as a junior and a senior. Uh, when you look back at your at your playing career in, in Montana, what sticks out to you? Um, my growth as, as an individual, um, as a leader, as a, as a basketball player, as a student, uh, as a person. You know, you know my, my, my life was never easy. Um, there, there was always adversity off the court for me um, that, that would slow my process down, and I had to find ways to get through it. I had to find ways to, to be successful. Um, you know, regardless of how hard life was. And I think for me here, it was an opportunity to get away from home and, and experience things outside of my own community. Uh, it was an opportunity to be coached by someone that believed in tough love, um, but but also knew when, when his student-athletes needed a hug. Um, and, and, and so for me, it, it, it was an opportunity to be a part of something special when, you know, our, our, our program brought – the championship back to Missoula in 91-92 uh, had been quite a while since Montana had won one, and to be a part of something like that is always huge. And when I reflect on that as a coach, um, I, I always can look at the individual stories and the guys that, that made us so tough as a group, uh, the guys that cultivated the, the family portion of it, the Montana guys, uh, accepted the, the out-of-state guys, with open arms and, and, and gave us an opportunity um, to, to enjoy the experience. And, and I thought that the combination of all those things are why we were special. And so now as a head coach, I just uh, try to replicate a lot of those experiences. You know, it's interesting you bring up that, that difference between the sort of the in-state guys and the out-of-state guys, because I think when people think about Montana and certainly the success that the school has had as a program, and certainly the coaching tree is unreal. Um, you know, go through the list, Wayne Tinkle, Larry Kristoyak, Judd Heathcote, obviously Blaine Taylor, yourself, um, and and many others. But but what's interesting to me is I think people think about Montana and they think, well, the struggle might be if you get kids from different parts of the country that aren't familiar with that area, that that's going to be a challenge. But what can you tell me about that challenge of, the kids that come from out of state and the kids that are in state and the kind of challenge that can sort of present. Well, it, it's back to chemistry <clears throat> and, and we've recruited in a manner that, that allows us to be successful in that regard here for, for in, in my era in the nineties, the majority of the basketball players were from Montana. Mm -hmm. um, that's back when you had 15 scholarships. Um, they redshirted a good portion of those incoming freshmen. Um, and, and so you, you know, I think out of our 15, maybe five of us were out of state in my time. And wow. so you're the minority. And, mm -hmm. um, I think prior to my time here, there wasn't great chemistry between the in-state out-of-state guys. And when we got here, um, guys like Roger Fastings, Gary Kane, Matt Kemfort were, were local guys that, um, uh, were open to interacting with us off the court. You know, they invited us to their to their functions in their homes, uh, their gatherings. They took us to their homes for Thanksgivings, Christmases, and 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 because their families were so open to having us around and welcoming to us, that uh, we had more opportunity to get to know our teammates. And once again, when you're in that foxhole and you know a guy's tendencies, 
You know the guys that need help. You know the guys that, that are going to be there for you when you need it. Uh, you tend to overachieve as a group, and that's what we had. And so I've always remembered that. And, and now things are a little different, and, and the majority are now out-of-state kids um, in, in order for us to be successful here. And so what we've done is we've recruited from what we call our backyard, and uh, two, two of us are from Washington, and, and the other two assistants are from Northern California, and the bulk of our recruiting is going to be Washington, Northern Cal, and and, and a little bit of Southern Cal. Interesting. And with that, you've, you've got more guys coming in that already know guys that are here or have at least competed against each other and come from similar backgrounds, and they relate to each other off the court, and that tends to lead to good chemistry. How much were you thinking about coaching at that, that time during your playing career? Not at all. Never. Uh, you know, as a business major, I figured, you know, I'd, I'd fall into something um, that would allow me to, to at some point in time own or, or run my own company. Uh, not sure what that was, but just figured, you know, with a business major, that's what that means. Um, you know, the immaturities of the young student athlete. And after a year of being out of school and, and, and bouncing from job to job, um, my high school coach, Ed Peppel, uh, asked me to work a camp. And after the camp was over, he uh, had a, a, a freshman coaching position available, and it was kind of late in the year, and so he really didn't have time to shop around and asked me to take that position for him as a favor for one year. And one thing led to another, and I never stopped coaching. Um the seed was planted by Blaine Taylor um, the, the the spring of 94, my senior year, uh, and I kind of went through the process of interviewing for a high school job here, Frenchtown, just outside of Missoula, and um, the process was kind of drug out a little bit, and I was a little anxious to get home, and, and so never really saw that thing through, uh, but at the end of the day, at that point in time, I wasn't ready to go into it. What's interesting is, I, from what I've read about your time then, uh, post graduation, it it looked like over and over again that you were around helping others. You, you founded the Fast Break Basketball Association in Seattle, Tacoma area, helping 500 kids. You were counseling kids at the at the time, uh, and and certainly, obviously, there was something about coaching when you take the freshman job, and next thing you know, that's that's your career. What was it about? the idea of coaching and, and helping out the youth that, that appealed to you so much? Well, you know, people often say you, you are who you surround yourselves with, right? And I, I don't know that's 100% true because sometimes you grow up in an environment that might not be all that positive and, and, and people find a way out. Um, and, and so, but I do think there is heavy influence and, and then you make decisions. For me, you know, my father did that. You know, I played um, Renner Beach Community Center growing up and, and that's back when the community centers kind of dominated sports and uh, you played for your neighborhood and uh, it was always very competitive and Rainier Beach was was, was, was so full of, of so many kids that, that we had three teams and the teams were named after the, the coach's last name and um, the, the team I was on was Metcalf and um, a very athletic family um, with roots back to the 70s and we were so loaded that going into seventh grade, we had to split into two again. And so it was three to four teams. And my father took that team, and, and, and that was kind of when I made the, the conversion from power forward to point guard mm -hmm. in the seventh grade. And, and 
from that point on, he then um, started putting together AAU teams. And we played in the traveling league, which was on the east side um, with a lot of the east side schools, the Mercer Islands, the Redmonds, the Bellevues. Um, and so we'd still play in our rec league. And then he had an all-star team that played on the east side league. And then that all-star team would travel and, and, and go to places like Yakima and Reno uh, for regional AAU tournaments. And I remember we always had to raise money. You know, we'd wash cars and um, we, we just, you know, we'd sell candy. We'd do all kinds of things just to raise the money. And I remember there'd always be a couple of kids on the team that they couldn't afford to go. And my dad would, you know, he'd, he'd invest into those kids. And, uh, um, it, it, you know, when I was going through it and it was happening and, you know, I never really realized what he was committing to and what it was that he was doing. I just thought my buddies were hanging out and spending the night at my house and, eating our food and playing my video games and shooting on my basket. But the reality was, is he was saving their lives. They, they didn't have lights to go home to. They didn't have power. They didn't have sometimes a roof to go home to or just an environment they didn't want to go home to. And so he allowed them to stay in our home. Well, those things are contagious. And sometimes you don't realize that you are influenced by others until you start to do things or you look back at it 10, 15 years later. Uh, my junior year in the summer in college, I went home and he, he had an AAU team he had put together and kind of decided he didn't want to do it anymore, but it was a very talented team. And so he had me coach that team and we won the national qualifier, had an opportunity to go to the to, to national tournament uh, that July, uh, but I needed to come back for summer. So it, it never happened, but the seed was somewhat planted at that point in time. And so when I went back to Mercer Island to coach, um, Coach Pepper had always had his team, and at the time he'd called this team the Altoids, which ended up having 10 kids go on to play Division One basketball, point guard that's Elliott Project Freeman's all-time leading assist leader in the Ivy League and at Harvard. Uh, Curtis Borchard later became a first-round draft pick at Stanford. Um, Josh Fisher was our MVP that played at St. Louis and, and played professional basketball for I think he just now retired two years ago. He's class of 2000. Uh, very talented group. A uh, young man by the name of Matt Logie, first scholarship uh, basketball player at Lehigh's, now currently winning 23, 24 games a year at, at, at Whitworth. Um, and, and so the team was so talented that I really didn't have a role helping with that group. And so I decided to start my own, and Pepple kind of helped me find some kids, and one thing led to another, and in year one, we we had some kids from Tacoma, an area that was untapped, and found ourselves playing for a national championship in the Slam and Jam in L.A. and had a chance to win it. Um, and from there, it just exploded and, and, and got contagious. And at the time, I was counseling juvenile correctional at a juvenile correctional facility called Echo Glen, and also at a halfway house for for youth, a place called Rather Child Center. And so the combination of the counseling and the transitional living and the coaching, I think, is what developed me as, as the coach that I am today. But I kind of fell into all those things. And um, after a year of experiencing that was when we went and got a 501c3 and turned it into a nonprofit and, and then created the counseling in academic services. And uh, next thing I knew, I had 500 kids come through the program in an eight-year period. That is Truly remarkable, and I'm I'm blown away too by the idea that 
you know, we, I spoke to Kim English recently and, and he had told me that a coach has to be authentic. That That is one of the most important points. And I've always believed that what makes a, a wonderful coach is the buy-in that you get from your kids. It doesn't matter the system that you're running, your style of coaching, who you are, but if you can get people to believe in what it is that, that you're, uh, what you're coaching about, what you're preaching about, what you're talking about, that's, that's the key to, to a great coach. And it sounds like those experience just help turn you in, as you mentioned, to, to who you are today. So that's remarkable as you, as you move up in the ranks and you hit green river community college and your coach of the year there in in 2003, you know, and, and starting, you know, still at the early stages of your, your coaching journey, how different were you then as a, as a coach from, from who you are today? <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm more mature today. Um, Aren't we all? I think I look, right. I, I think I look further down the road um, today. And, but I, I, I think the things that haven't changed is my commitment um, to their futures. You know, you, you, you talk about buy-in and, and I think at the end of the day, if, a young man or a young lady believe that you believe in them and you you have confidence in their abilities, then they're going to believe in whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do. And you can do it half backwards and, and, and get it done if, if, if all 13 of the 13 guys believe in it. And so I think for me that was one of the things that um, led to my early success in high school and junior college as a coach is that – uh, my passion for, for the success of the young men that I was coaching. And, you know, I dreamed with them a lot, um, you know, with their, their goals or my goals. Um, and, and so I put a lot of time and energy in trying to make them the best basketball players, the best students, the best people as possible. And we talked about more than just basketball. We always talked about what was going on in their life and how they could change anything negative into a positive um, and, and I think the fact that they knew that I cared was why they performed for me at, at, at the level that they did. And I've tried to hold on to that at this level. And it's very difficult at Division One because the time that you, you have with them is different. It's, 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 it's not as frequent. Um, there's, there's, there's so many rules to the hours that you can spend in the gym. And in high school and junior college, you know, when you just open up the gym and you can get it in 24 hours, you know, um, 365 days out of the year. And so there's just way more opportunity to, to, to show a young man that you care as opposed to say it. And at this level, um, your, your actions are a lot more highlighted because you have fewer opportunities. Right. Right. Makes sense. Uh, there was still a, a, an appeal, though, obviously, to coach at at this Division One level, and you end up moving on to become an assistant at Old Dominion because your and Blaine Taylor sees you at a JUCO showcase. You guys hadn't talked in a long time, as the story goes. Taylor offers you a job, but you turn it down initially. Can you tell me what happened there? <laughs> so. Yeah, it'd been almost 20 years. Um, and, 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 and for me, you know, like I said, I, I, my vision wasn't as, as far down the road. It was day to day, it was year to year, but I was enjoying the, the transition from high school to junior college. 
the ability to still have my nonprofit, the the ability to save lives, um, and 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 so I had an opportunity twice. I interviewed once at Washington State, once at Boise State, while at Sammamish, and 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 kind of turned those opportunities down. One because I had some young men that I made some commitments to, and wanted to see things through. And and then the second thing was just I wasn't really ready to leave. Seattle after being away for five years, you know, I just, you know, I enjoyed being home. And um, when I got to Green River, you know, year one, we won 16 games, 17 games, and um, we were a work in progress. We, we had three baseball players on the floor, two walk-ons, um, only three recruited guys actually playing for us. And the the following year, we knew we were going to get a ton of, of of local kids. And, you know, the thing that I did a little different than most people was I was able to mesh Seattle and Tacoma. Uh, and, and Green River was located in the border between the two. And so it was centrally located where I could recruit both and, 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 and kind of get the best available talent from both cities and, and, and get them to play together. And. I wasn't really ready to walk away from it because I thought that we there were some special things that could take place. And my vision was more so uh, junior college high, head coach, athletic director, um, that I could do what I do um, the way I've, I've always done it and, and never need to relocate. And so when Blaine saw us in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, it was a national junior college event and I had nine of my players down there and, and then a kid that was at Odessa, a Seattle kid by the name of Trey Simmons, who I flew in to play with us. Um, and I, I think what caught Blaine's eye wasn't what I was doing with my team. The deal that I had with Jerry Mullen at the time was um, if I worked the camp, that we could get a, good, a better rate. Uh, save some money on, on, on the dorms and some things. And so I coached two other teams that, that had coaches that couldn't be there. And I think that Blaine saw me interacting with the kid that they were recruiting out of Oklahoma for one of the Oklahoma junior colleges. And knowing that it wasn't my team, I think that he, he just saw uh, a relationship opportunity uh, on his staff and so that's kind of what led to it. And he grabbed me after the game, and, and we had a chance to catch up a little bit. And after the camp was over, he called me, and, and they happened to have a job available. Uh, Larry Kostowiak had moved on and to take on the Idaho Stampede, and that was when the first conversation took place. And I never forget my mother fielding phone calls from him. It was like he was recruiting me all over again to come to Montana. Um, and the timing wasn't right. I just I had too many guys that were in their sophomore year that, that you know, needed to have a good year to move on and play four-year ball. And, um, you know, the following year, uh, Kenny Gaddison moved on to go back to, to Charlotte to coach in the NBA. And the timing was better, and, and Blaine's hard to say no to twice. <laughs> it's uh, it's like I said, your coaching journey is amazing to me. It's a, it's, it's, it's what every young coach should, should check out because it's just remarkable how things keep coming together and they continue to, as you move on, uh, you have tremendous success when, when you link up with, with Taylor at ODU, you guys have two NCAA tournament appearances, uh, 
your final four seasons there, most wins in a four-year stretch in, in school history. And then Mike Montgomery, uh, another former Montana coach. It's remarkable how many there have been. Hall of Famer Mike Montgomery uh, goes to Cal. He calls you. And the next thing you know, now you're, you're coaching in, you know, in the Pac-10, Pac-12. Um, your time at Cal, four NCAA tournament appearances, best six-year stretch in Cal history. The, key, the thing I keep getting from, from this is uh, it's remarkable how much winning has followed you throughout your career. What was it specifically about, about Mike Montgomery and what you learned during your time at Cal under him? Uh, that, that that brought so much success to that that Bears program. Uh, preparation, I, I think it's the combination of both places. Uh, in my 11 years as an assistant five at, at Old Dominion, six at Cal, uh, you know Blaine was pretty close to taking some other jobs. He, he got close to Arizona State, close to Oklahoma, uh, Utah. I thought was the one he would take, and 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 decided to stick around at Old Dominion. We kind of had the conversation that, you know, Coach, I've, I'd like to be a head coach one day. Not sure I can get that from here. You know, um, if, if you're going to retire from here, do you think you could help me with something? And he said, you know, I think Mike Montgomery might get back into coaching in the near future. And and when that happens, I'll help you out. And so uh, a year goes by and we're at the Final Four and I see it on on, on the blurb on ESPN, Mike Montgomery takes Cal. And so I, I called Coach Taylor and said, hey, did you see, you know, Monty just took the Cal job. And he said, yeah, uh, you got an interview tomorrow at 12 o'clock. We're ready to go. And wow. um, so we, we meet at Starbucks, and I've got on my sport coat and my tie, and it's, it's 100 degrees in San Antonio, and Mike shows up in a hat and shorts and a T-shirt. He had just gone for a jog. and uh, we talked for about an hour, and he offers his job a, a day later. And uh, 48 hours from then, I'm 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 flying into the bay, and uh, never looked back. But you know, I I think those two have been very special coaches that uh, have been very influential with me. And and you know, I think if I, I've been fortunate to just be surrounded by very good coaches. I mean, Ed, Ed Peppel, that all-time winners coach in Washington State history, um, playing highest win percentage in, in, in history here at Montana, highest win percentage at Montana and Old Dominion, and at one point was all-time winners coach at both places. And I think my experience with Blaine playing for him and coaching with him is probably manages the game better than anyone I've ever been around. Uh, his, his ability to, to control a timeout, um, to make changes on the fly, to manipulate an opponent because of what they're doing defensively, um, last-minute changes, um, last possession of the game. I've just never been around anyone that can manage a game like him. And and so my experience playing point guard for him and then being an assistant with him, those, those things all um, stuck to me. And then with Mike Montgomery, Mike is probably the most prepared basketball coach um, every night out. I, I don't know that there has ever been a team that was more prepared than we were every time we touched the floor, which is why he's one of he's the only coach to win the Pac-12 at, at two different schools, and he, he brought back a championship after 50 years at, at Cal. 
And we were the most prepared basketball team every night. We knew what they would run against zone. We knew what they would run against man. We knew how they would defend our off-ball screen. We knew how they would defend our our on-ball screen. Uh, we knew how they would defend every play we ran. And we had counters for everything that, that every every opponent would give us. And we could change from Thursday to Saturday based on who we were playing because of our preparation. And I just think that his, his basketball teams were the most consistent basketball teams every year, year in and year out. And maybe he didn't win as many championships as everyone else, but overall he was going to win his 70%. And um, he was going to put a good product on the floor every night. They always had an opportunity to win games. And, you know, I look back at that and uh, we, we fell one game short of a championship twice. Uh, we lost to our rival Stanford twice, once at home and once at Stanford. Uh, or I'd be fortunate to say that while with Mike Montgomery, we won three Pac-12 championships in a six-year run. Um, but I think that's what separates those two from anybody that I've been around is, is preparation with Mike, game management uh, with with Blaine, and, and then my one year with Stu Morrow was a combination of both. And if you look at his career, his win percentage, um, he, he's probably more likely to win a basketball game than both of them. <laughs> The the you know you discussed that that game management uh, under Coach Taylor and then the preparation under under Coach Montgomery. We hear all the time that you know so many coaches are prepared. So when you discuss that and you say that he's the most prepared, uh, what made him different in terms of preparation? How was his preparation different than other coaches? Uh, the time we spent on details, you, you, you know, Blaine's teams were tough. They were tough. They were mentally tough. They were physically tough. They played through adversity. They thrived in adversity because he created that adversity in practice every day. So we knew how to compete. Um, I think Mike's teams, um, could think on the fly as well as anyone. They could read a screen as well as anyone. Um, and, and so they were prepared for every situation in the game. Example would be, um, eight-minute mark, come out of a timeout, and your opponent goes zone, and they hadn't played zone in five games. Well, we were prepared for it because we saw that they had to zone 10 games ago or, you know, we always worked on our zone offense regardless of who we were playing. We had a call ready to go, and so we didn't have to call timeout to make an adjustment. We'd make a call, and we if we could get a good shot the first two possessions against your zone, you probably came out of it, and we wouldn't have to see it anymore. Um team would go box and one on our leading scorer, Alan Crabb, but we would have a call immediately to go into without calling a timeout that we could get a shot. And it might not be for Alan Crabb. It might be a way to expose the, the zone to get them to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And so his teams were prepared for the changes that teams were going to put us through night in and night out. Um, and, and, and like I said, when guys were running off of screens, they knew if their man was going to cheat the screen or chase them off the screen. The guy setting the screen knew if that kid was going to cheat or chase, not only as a team, but individually. Because every team's got a guy. They've got a guy that's easy to screen, a guy that cheats, a guy that's lazy, a guy that has poor vision. We know who that guy is, and we're going to expose that guy. We were really good at that account. I love that. I love that. Uh, thanks for the breakdown. Um the interesting thing at the tail end of your time at Cal is that, of 
course, Mike Montgomery leaves coaching again, uh, this time uh, retires, and he recommends and pushes hard for you to get the job, and and it didn't happen. What what was that experience like for you? Uh, fairly dramatic. Um, you know, he, he, he kind of was sensing he was getting to that point two years prior, which led to the associate head title. Um, you know, he wanted to put me in a leadership role, and it, it was more so to allow him to focus more on the coaching aspect of it to maybe lengthen his coaching career as opposed to a, an exit plan. Um, and, you know, after a couple of years, after that last season, he, he was just burnt out going into that, uh, that last month of basketball. And um, so he, 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 uh, he let Sandy Barber know that he was going to be done after the year and began to plant the seed with her and, and a couple other administrators um, in regards to me. Um, you know, I, I think that when you talk about Pac-12 jobs, you know, administrators tend to believe that those are jobs that deserve national searches. And maybe they do. You just never know who what candidates you can get. Um, I think what a lot of people didn't understand is why the Montana tree has been successful. And the biggest portion is, is because they've always hired from within. And the only unsuccessful hire that they've ever made was the one time they didn't hire from within. Um, and, and so, you know, guys like Larry Kristoviak and, and, and myself, uh, coming back from somewhere else and um, but but being from here and playing in this system and understanding the community all of those things are just as important in recruiting as, in, in coaching as recruiting or growing up a play and most of the time they're more important but a lot of presidents a lot of athletic directors have never coached and so they don't see those things. Now, Sandy Barber had been involved with athletics for a long time, and she had coached, so she did understand those things. But I, I just think that for me it was an emotional because the reasons that Mike thought that I was the right hire were things that weren't accounted for by the committee. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about um, the relationship with the returning players, the relationship with a potential incoming class, relationship with community, uh, the understanding of how academics um, uh, uh, operate on, on a campus like Cal, um, understanding that the kids that were recruited to play there were recruited to play in a certain system that maybe they won't be successful in a different type of system. Just all of those types of things that come into play um, you know, were, were, were things that came up in the conversation in the, in the interviewing process, um, in conversations following or in the list of candidates. And so that's why it was so emotional for me on top of the fact that you, you go from being associate head and being recommended as, as the, as the, as the, the next head coach to not having a job. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and having a three-year-old daughter at the time and, and, you know, living in California, it's not cheap. Um, so there were a lot of things that played into that. Um, and it was a long, it was a long month and a half for me, uh, one, going through that process and then two, trying to figure out what was next for me. And, you know, once again, the remarkable 
story of Travis DeCure, you here have this potential dream job, Pac-12 school, Cal, the, everything's rolling under Montgomery. Uh, you don't get to follow in his footsteps there, but you end up as the as the head coach at Montana, hired May 31st, 2014. Uh, what was that day like for you? Uh, it was it was it was one of the greatest days of my life. Um, I've, I've had some big moments. I've been fortunate, um, and you know, I, I think for someone to to be first choice, um, that that was a first for me. Um, other jobs, I had applied for other head jobs, uh, Eastern Washington twice. Uh, you know, a number of schools, and and most uh, either didn't get an interview or or I did, but wasn't selected. Even at Green River, I was I wasn't first choice, and so to have someone come to me and and, and say, "No, you're our guy, and we want to put the program in your hands." That 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 was a big moment for me because um, I I feel like everywhere I've been, I I had to earn my role. It was never given to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was never you know I was hired as the third assistant at both places. Uh, I was the last to get bonuses and raises at both places um you know i i just had to grind and i had to i had to work i had to compete every day for everything i got and and so for the first time you know i was number one on the list and 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 was made a priority and and so that was special to me because it was it was one of those moments where i felt like the time i put in and the commitment that i made to other people's programs paid off um and 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 the second thing for me as as a minority um you know it's just not often that you know i'm just being honest but it's not often that the minority gets an opportunity to take on a winning program and not only was i able to take on a winning program that i played for but it's the best job in the conference and so to me, there just a, there were a lot of things that made this moment special, and and so every day I wake up, I wake up grateful, but I also wake up uh, in grind mode, knowing that um, that that I need to make the most of it, and 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 that there's no time for complacency. Well, I mean, you certainly have made the most of it. I mean, your time at Montana, as I touched upon it at the beginning of the podcast, has been. You know, nothing short of remarkable. I mean, your first season, you win 20 games. Second season, you win, you know, 21 games. Uh, in this past season, 26 games uh, that you won, 16-2 and two in conference. And you enter the NCAA tournament as a, as a 14 seed. It doesn't even include the fact that you won the regular season, conference tourney, 14-0 at home, beat Pitt at Pitt. Um, so much success just this season alone and and obviously over the over the course of the last four years but i am curious when you've gone through the the journey that you've gone through you've gone through the the uh the, the story that um that we've told when you make the ncaa tournament uh what is what do you recall about that day <laughs> uh you know, I, I remember the team jumping for joy. I remember my daughter running on the court. Um, you know, she she I just remember her just constantly asking me about the championship. <laughs> um, and and we you know when we cut down nets after the Weber State game, 
from that day forward, she just kept asking championship, championship. We did we win the championship? And and in her mind, every game from that point forward was a championship. And uh, to to actually achieve that with 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 her running on the court was amazing. Um, you you know we we came close twice, and you know we tied for championship uh, conference title in, in the first year, second year uh, as a two seed, we get the championship game, and, and um, year one we we blow a lead, year two we we're a possession away from winning it. And we fall short, and and so you you, you kind of have that monkey on your back, you know. Third time around, it's we we got to pull this off, and it was a roller coaster ride. And I remember making the statement in 2014 that sometimes it takes a little luck to win a championship, and there were some coaches that, that didn't take that very well. <laughs> and it's 100 percent. I live by it. I believe it, and and it, it's 100 percent true that it, it takes some luck to win a championship, whether it's your team staying healthy, whether it's you know, the guys in your rotation staying committed to their roles, uh, your staff. You know, I, I'm fortunate to have a great staff. I'm fortunate that we've recruited really good kids. And uh, the fewer distractions that you have off the court, uh, the more opportunities you have to coach basketball. And last year was the perfect storm of that. And, you know, we stole some games. Um, we, we, we had, we had a game at home against Sac State that we, we had no business winning and we get a steal it on the baseline, uh, to lay it up, to tie the game to go into overtime. Um, the, the Northern Colorado game, you know, we could have easily just gave in down six with, with 46 seconds. Um, and the, the, the grind we put these guys through, uh, made them champions, but some of them wanted it that bad. Um, that they went out and took it. And, and so, you know, it was kind of at that moment, just I had a flash of, of my entire past um, come together. And, and, and so it, it was, I had a smile on my face. It was hard to get rid of. That's amazing. I, uh, I, I love a coach. And first of all, all those coaches know um, that luck is involved to a certain extent, <laughs> no obviously question, not, but... not the main ingredient. Of course they know, they know if they're being honest with themselves. I, I saw an interview that you had done um, and you were asked about getting Montana back to the NCAA tournament. Your direct quote I thought was fascinating. You said, I wanted to do it my way. I wanted to build the type of culture that I was comfortable with on and off the court. And sometimes when you fight for culture and how you want young men to be or become, sometimes you might end up with less talent down the road or whatnot. And we never gave in. Can you explain what that what that means? Hundred um, percent. The the best athlete, the biggest guy, the best shooter, the fastest guy, the best playmaker, isn't always the best person for your team. Um, and you, any coach that's been doing this for a long time in any sport has had turmoil, cost him a championship, cost him success. Um, Number one for me is graduation, and, and so 100% of our seniors have graduated. And that means that we have a group of young men that allow us to coach them. And the only way to be successful is to get buy-in, but the, the buy-in has to be when you're not around. And so, you know, I, I wanted to put competitive young men on the floor. I wanted to put good decision-makers on the floor. Um, 
but that also meant that we would recruit some kids that might not be there yet but have the potential to do that. And so we say no to a lot of young men that potentially could be really good. There have been Pac-12, West Coast Conference uh, transfers. There have been late committed high school guys that probably individually would, would could be the best players in this league. But the way that we operate our values and what we stand for, our brand, they didn't fit. And so, therefore, we didn't take them. Um, and I, I, you know, I reflect on a lot of years, you know, my junior year, we were, we were pretty good. We, we won 17 games, but we, we had a young man go home in the middle of the year because he was a poor decision maker, got himself into some trouble. My senior year, we got off to a start faster than anyone in the history of the school at eight. No, we go into conference undefeated, which hadn't happened. Um, we, we get to our second game in conference and our best player quit. And now we're, we go 500 the rest of the year. So a team that should have won a championship finishes fourth and loses in the first round of the conference tournament. Um, you know, as an assistant coach um, at, at, at Cal and at Old Dominion, we, we, you know, there were times where you'd have a guy or two that, that, that could cost people their careers or cost you any opportunity of being successful on and off the court. And so I, I just made the decision as the guy that's always dealt with those fires um, that I wanted to minimize those as much as possible and spend more time on helping them in the classroom, helping them mature, uh, trying to teach them to become leaders and see what that turns into. And, and I think that that's been the product that we've been putting on the floor. Well, I, I think it's awesome. I think that mentality, I think not just any coach could learn from, but I think, you know, any, any adult really um, can, can appreciate that, whether they're starting a business, whether they're, you know, looking to hire someone. Um, I just think that, that that sums up the idea that at the end of the day, it's one thing to have talent, but to have people that are committed to what it is that you want to accomplish. Uh, it may take you a little bit longer to get there, but obviously it'll, it'll certainly be, be worth it. Um, I, um, there's, also, there's, un, there's, oh, over, there's over there's overachievers and there's underachievers, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes your underachievers are the most talented ones, but they've got things that are in the way that they don't let go of. And the more overachievers you have, the more success you'll have as a program. And that's kind of been our deal. No question, no question. Um, so, Coach, I, I want to wrap this up, but I but I just have a couple questions for you. First is. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about your time at Montana is how you've scheduled and you've played, I mean, big time schools in the non-conference, a lot of Pac-12 powerhouses. You played at Kansas, Gonzaga. Um, this season, you're you're playing Creighton, Arizona. Um, what's gone on in terms of your philosophy and how much do you think that's helped you once you've reached the postseason? Uh, I think it's helped us a lot. I think that we play with a ton of confidence in February and March because um, we, we've, we've had opportunities to be on the floor with, with some of the best in the country. And whether you win or lose those games, you, you want to go into those games and compete. Um, and if you believe you can win and you play to win, um, you, you, you can benefit from the success 
um, that you have within that within the game, right? There's just there's just so many different battles in every game. You might out rebound a team. You might have a a, a better assist to turnover ratio. Um, you might you know find matchups that they that they that they couldn't control. Um, so you find little battles to win, and and if you find yourself in in those games in the last four minutes, you go for it, right? But at the end of the day. You're building confidence, um, and and so it's it's been huge for us in a number of ways. One, our ability to perform late in the year, um, but but the second thing is is recruiting. You know, we, it, it's hard for us to get teams to come play us here, mm-hmm. uh, especially especially West Coast mid major schools. And so what we've decided is rather than go to them, we'll just go play the high majors. Um, and and so in, until we can get more people to play us home and home. We'll, we'll just continue to go play those high majors on the road and, and see how many we can pick off. <laughs> no doubt about it. And you almost pick off Michigan. I mean, people forget this about the NCAA tournament, certainly not you or your staff, but you're beating Michigan for most of the first half in your, in your 3-14 uh, NCAA tournament game. When Michigan ends up going on on their run, uh, certainly reaching the, the Final Four and all they accomplished in the tournament, how much are you looking at that, quite honestly, and saying to yourself, man, that that, that could have been us? Yeah, I was, you know, uh, bad seeding, bad seeding, bad seeding. No doubt. They, they, Michigan is a two-one seed. I, you know, I hate to give them a one, but you don't you don't finish the way they finish in the big in the Big Ten, and and they're a three seed. That just doesn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. three four seed. You don't. That, that's a two to me. Um, but. Um, you know, it's all matchups at the end of the day, and and so when we got that uh, that matchup, I thought, you know, there, there's a chance for us here um, in in a number of ways, just style of play, personnel. Um, you know, I that that Houston game, you know, I, I don't know what that would have looked like for us, um, just the way they were built. Um, that you know, we 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 I'd have been up late for a couple of nights trying to figure out an advantage <laughs> in, in in that one. Um, so you know, I hate to say, oh, if we beat Michigan, we'd have got to the final four. I, I don't want to be that guy, but I, I I was cheering for them. I I felt like it was a game that we could have won. I won't say should have. I I think Bayline might be the best active college coach in the country. If you look at what he's done and how he's done it, I think. He's pretty similar to what we're talking about in terms of the type of student athlete we want. Mm-hmm. He, 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 he's not putting the most talented team on the floor in any night, but he wins a lot of games. Um, they don't beat themselves on or off the court, um, and and they're tough. And so, you know, watching them play and, and watching how teams defended them was amazing. That that. I don't. I don't know that any of those teams that they played actually watched our game against them. Right. <laughs> that's a. That's an actually an unbelievable point. I, I actually had the same thought throughout the rest of the tournament that uh, that Montana and and Coach Secure had the blueprint. And yeah, you talk preparation. It didn't seem like uh, that they they were prepared. Um, last question for you, Coach, and that is. Uh, this past off season, obviously, a lot of schools were certainly interested in what you've had to offer, and they have been for the last few years. I mean, you you know, there's no doubt anyone that has success at Montana, like we talked about, with all the coaches that have come out of there uh, by itself, is going to get that that, that coach is going to get attention. But for you, you personally, someone who's been around winning so much and and has 
coached under so many great coaches yourself. And then now three 20 win seasons at Montana and NCAA tournament appearance, um, all of those things, you are highly regarded coach. And one of the schools came calling obviously Colorado state, uh, which was, you know, reported and all, um, Instead, you don't go and you sign a, a three-year deal with Montana. So it begs the obvious question, you know, why stay? Why not jump to to a higher profile program? Um, I, I, I watch. Um, I watch people. I watch decisions. I watch, you know, when, when I watch college basketball, I don't just watch the game. Um, I watch the bench. You know, I, I try to learn from others, right? You, we always talk about history and, and you know, when kids go to class and they learn about history so that if they're ever in a leadership role, we don't make mistakes that we made back in the day. And so for me, you know, over the years as a high school coach, junior college coach and assistant, I've always watched the, the coaches that have had successful programs and moved on and watched a large percentage of them disappear. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think you have to be careful what you wish for. And sometimes you, you, you've got to appreciate what you have. And right now we, we have a good thing. We, we, we have a supporting cast of administrators, community members that believe in us, believe in what we're doing. We're growing as a program, um, our facilities, we're doubling up on facilities, um, you know, a year from now, you'll you'll look at what we have in terms of a locker room and arena and and, thing, and how we travel um, and how we take care of our guys. And, and you'll say we're operating probably like a high-end Mountain West program. And, and so that puts us in a, in a position of power, in a position of strength um, in terms of who we're competing with every night. Um and that's hard to walk away from it. it. It's hard to walk away from a very strong situation um, to a rebuilding situation. And and so, you know, there's things that are intriguing. The Mountain West is a program that, you know, five, six months ago looked like it might take over the Pac-12 if there would have been movement, right? So there are things that were intriguing about that. But at the end of the day, I've got something really special here, like I said. If, I'm, if, I, if, if we can win 20 games every year and we're competing for a championship, we don't have to win a championship every year, but if we're at least in the, in, in, in the ballpark and we're competing for one every year um, and my family's happy, then what, what's, what's the rush? Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I always talk to my guys. I talk to my recruits about enjoying the process, right? You can't be a good team if you don't enjoy practice. You can't, you can't be successful and win championships if you don't enjoy film. And what I'm doing is enjoying the process. And so, you know, I let family and friends and media, you know, be the ones that chase jobs and they can enjoy that because maybe that's how they enjoy my career um, from the outside. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy every day. And, and, you know, what a lot of people don't know, that's valuable to me is, 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 is my time with my family. And, 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 you know, I get up every morning, have breakfast with my daughter and drop her off at school every day on my way to work. And <laughs> you just, you can't do that everywhere. And, and this is one of those communities where I'm fortunate enough to, 
live close enough to campus and close enough to her school that that I can do that. I can I can walk out of office and go have lunch with her, um, you know, and and be back in time to be prepared um, for practice. And and there's a lot of places and a lot of coaches that do that, but I, I I'm willing to bet that when they do do those things that they probably don't get to the office till 10 o'clock. And when they do go have lunch, it's, it's an hour or two hours they're gone. And so you spend less time working. Whereas for me, it's a five minute drive. So there's, there's just a lot of things that are, that, that I have here um, that I'm not willing to give up. Um, and, and as long as the university continues to share my vision, um, I'm enjoying the process. And, and they did that, you know, they, they they shared um, my my passion for our growth two years ago, and uh, they've been walking the walk uh, since. And and so I, I think for me, you know, I enjoy winning too much um, to, to 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 chase money. And so um, I'm I'm happy where I'm at, and I'm enjoying the process. And it's one day at a time. Well, I love that answer, and not to mention the one thing that. Uh... You didn't touch on, and I know you 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 know very well. Obviously, a, a loaded roster too uh, is is coming back, and and I know you're going to have a ton of success this season and and beyond. I I mentioned earlier on in the podcast that you're one of the most highly sought after coaches in the country, and I and I also truly believe you're also one of the best coaches in the country. And I, I thank you for for jumping on the podcast today. I appreciate uh, I appreciate your comments. I appreciate you having me. It's 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 my pleasure. Um, anytime. Anytime, I'd love to take time to talk with you. It's been great. So huge thank you to Coach Travis DeCure. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach DeCure. That's D-E-C-U-I-R-E. You can follow me, Adam Stanko, on Twitter at Naismith Lives. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter at 40YearCoach. Also check out 40YearCoach.com to learn more about what we're doing. And as I told you off the top and can't tell you enough, subscribe to the podcast. Like us on iTunes. Check us out. Spread the word. Help us out. If you don't have an iPhone, hey, check us out on Spreaker or on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, We appreciate everyone who has shown support for the podcast. It means a lot. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Huge thanks, as always, to Mark Eisenberg, R.E.K., Sydney Smith, my wife, Caitlin Stanko. Um, that'll do it for us this week. We'll catch you next time. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.